Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Welcome, everybody, to our latest podcast. We have some interesting stuff to talk about today. This is Michelle Dunbar. I'm here with Mark Sheeran and Stephen Slate. We are the developers and writers of the Freedom Model for Addictions, and we're so happy to be here. Mark has an exciting thing to announce. Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to be launching the uh, Freedom Model uh, professional training course um, because we keep getting... Uh, inquiries now uh, nearly every day asking about uh, if you know people like uh, life coaches and and even some rehabs have now uh, had some inquiries into the freedom model Um, so so these these folks that are helping people with addictions are are interested in our model Uh, it doesn't surprise me that this has happened um, because we've we've now been at this for a year and a half. The the book is out there. It's it's gaining traction across the globe. Actually, we have quite a following in Britain and Germany now. Um, and so and Australia, yeah, Australia. That's a big one as well. Um, but here in America, of course. So, uh, but but what's interesting is there seems to be a groundswell of people who um, work with addicts, quote-unquote addicts, and alcoholics. We hate that term too, by the way, but yeah. it's what people understand. It's, it's the term, <laughs> uh, so we'll use it loosely here. But um, <laughs> So they're working with these folks. They're out there doing the hard work of helping people like we did and do. and um, But they are wholly dissatisfied with everything that's out there. And I mean everything. Um they, you know, they they've gone into the alternative to treatment methods that are out there, like Smart, and, you know, the, the different uh, Rational Recovery, SOS, all these different different organizations. But they they still feel like they're coming up short. And uh, I'm not making a, a comment about that. That this is what people are telling us. And so there's so when they they come up short and then they find the Freedom Model. Um, they're astounded by it. I'm going to read one. Uh, I'm going to keep it anonymous because we're, we're working with this person. But this is an example of what's happening. So this came from uh, a person in America, and uh, I got this email just a few days ago. Over the past week, since I found the Freedom Model, I have devoured all of your free content, blogs, videos, podcasts, etc. And I'm almost done reading the book as well. You guys are saying everything that I've been trying to put into words for years, plus more. It's all so simple. When people ask me how I got sober and how I finally stopped relapsing, in quotes, they are never satisfied with my answer that I just decided that I was done with alcohol. That was three and a half years ago. That was the short version of my story. 
I'm messaging you because I want to get more information about the Freedom Model Professional Certification course. To be honest, I'm not certain that I need another certification to continue what I'm doing, but I would love some more information in order to decide if it is something I would like to do in the future. Thank you in advance. Love you guys. Love everything you're putting out there. We, and then in parentheses, anti-AA folks, have a monolith to take down. But with each of us doing our parts, the paradigm will shift. So that's, a, that's, a, that's sort of a typical email we're getting these days. So we have all these people out there helping others, and um, they, they want the freedom model. So I, I guess I want to talk about changing a paradigm. And uh, internally here at the freedom model, we talk about changing the paradigm in two different ways. One is within the industry and the other is outside the industry. Basically people that haven't gone to treatment, that haven't been exposed, deeply exposed to the treatment model, to the disease concepts, um, you know, the brain disease myth, all the mythology. Um, Or they have been exposed to it, but they don't buy into it but they don't have an advocate that's on their side. And we are that advocate. We are the ones saying, hey, we agree with you. Um, so uh, that's going to be the topic today is, is how to change a, a paradigm um, and in the past how paradigms have shifted. And, uh, and also we want to have our listeners really do a gut check and ask themselves, if you had a way of getting past an addiction, moving past it, and you never had to be in recovery to do it, right? You don't have to be supported. You don't have to go to meetings. You don't have to be in perpetual recovery modes. You don't have to have mat, any uh, you know chemical therapies. You don't have to go to meetings. You don't have to be propped up. If there was a way to do that, would you do it? And I'm going to tell a quick story, and then I'll let Michelle and Stephen take off with this. Many, many years ago, I sat down with a guy at a diner and I said, um, if you had a way to get past your alcohol problem um, without recovery and without believing in a disease, would you, would you want to go down that path? And he looked at me and said, you know, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of taken aback by that at the time. Now I'm not, you know, that, that's an answer that some people answer with. There are people that want to be controlled because it's an easier way. They want to have a disease that's external to them. They want to believe that they're susceptible to some force that's outside of them because that takes the responsibility of fixing that problem outside of them as well. If you have a disease, there's something external to you that can solve the disease. That's how disease works. You get medicine. So that fella, if, he, if we were talking today, he would be somebody that would be really, really open to uh, some sort of mat therapy. He would say, I need my medicine and I need to stay supported. And he'd go down the recovery train. Um, but which there is are fine. many. Yeah, which is fine. Exactly. I, I learned from that fella that there's a whole group of people that want to be led. And that's the way they live their life. It's a very attractive um, way of life for a lot of people because it takes the responsibility away of having to work at changing, yeah. you know, personal change and, and what it takes to do that. Um, but there's a greater number of people, much greater, that when I posed that question, 
they said, no, I don't, I don't want to be led. I don't want to be, I, I want to be free. And that's such a huge, huge distinction. So uh, in, in our case, we'll be teaching uh, practitioners of all kinds of various ways, you know, whether it's psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, um, this professional training course and offering that out there. So I just want the audience to know that we're moving in that direction to, to actually change the paradigm for the majority of people that want to move past this without being stuck in recovery. All right, guys. So, so why don't we start talking about, um, you know, how to change a paradigm. How, how is this process? How have we been doing it so far, right? And uh, maybe give a little history, maybe. <laughs> well, I can honestly say we've had a mission statement since 1992 when we incorporated that talked about that, that that was our mission was to research and develop uh, program to help people to overcome, or, or I hate even hate the word overcome, to solve their substance use problems and to change the treatment is, industry to a method that worked. And, you know, in 1992, that felt very pie in the sky um, to all of us. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but, but we, we got, we got a lot of a lot of people from all walks of life who, who came in and they became part of our <clears throat> research and um and we we helped people you know right from go we told people um you can be okay you can be okay and that was how we really kind of began the change the change in thinking about addiction and about alcoholism um and that is that there's really nothing wrong with you other than you know you really liked getting messed up and and by the way there's really nothing wrong with that either it doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't make you damaged um you can be okay and that's really that was the roots of the freedom model and so the way we started to change it was we we coined the term non-12 step yeah. um you know up until that point in time everybody you know 12 step was everything to everyone it was either 12 step or narconon I yeah. mean, there was really, there was really nothing else. It was else. one cult or another. One <laughs> cult or another. You take your pick. Pick your poison. So, or go back to heavy substance use. And, um, and so, and now you can see that, um, that it actually, that it's, things have shifted to where every single treatment program out there, including I want to say Betty Ford Hazelden oh, yeah, they do. talks about that they do non-12-step stuff. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that was the original, like, 12-step rehab was Hazelden. And, uh, but they, you know, they, they're trying to incorporate CBT and um, DBT and all of these, uh, R-E-T. Um, I could give you a whole lot of letters. Uh, that that are used now that that sound really great, but they are all the antithesis of the twelve step model, um, because they all talk about changing your thinking and changing your perspective. Um, when the twelve step model starts from a perspective of you're sick and diseased, and God has to be the one to help you get your daily reprieve. He can't cure you. God's not all powerful in this respect. Um, but, you know, so so things have shifted. Unfortunately, they're kind of shifting in a direction that is not less disease, but kind of more disease, kind of people need medicine, Absolutely. you know, and, and that that really pains me, but it doesn't surprise me. 
because the pharmaceutical industry has deep, deep pockets, um, and it's it's pretty easy. And and people want a quick fix. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. You know, I you know anybody that's struggled emotionally. You know, when I see friends of mine, I'm 50 years old. I see friends of mine uh, struggling emotionally. They the first thing they do is they their doctor has this questionnaire. And it says, in the last 10 days, how many days did you feel sad? And, you know, am I being honest? Because, I mean, a little bit sad, sad for a minute. I mean, what? how are we qualifying this? Because I'm not sure there's a day in the last 10 days where for a minute I didn't feel sad or pissed at something. So um, so that's how people, they get, they get funneled into this. If you have a problem, I have a pill for that. And, um, and we're fully there. Um, so, so yeah, the, the sh- things are shifting, but for the most part, a paradigm shifts based on where the money goes. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, well, Steve, I'll let you, I'm sure you have some thoughts. And, I'm sure then, you do. And, and I have some thoughts as well. <laughs> Go oh, ahead. Uh, no, I, I think Michelle is right. We're going in, unfortunately, a more disease-centered uh direction and I've seen this coming with the anti-AA movement for a long time I wrote an open letter to the anti-AA movement on my blog um seven years ago and it pissed a lot of people that long ago did you see that one yes I you know I'd forgotten about that I didn't realize it was so long ago yeah it was 2012 it pissed a lot of people off because they think I'm defending AA and we were talking about this the other day the anti ironically the anti aa movement has put personalities before principles <laughs> <laughs> that is um, totally true <laughs> you know they're upset with um in the, I, I know people are going to be mad that i'm saying this now it's not everybody okay not everybody not at all times but um you know they're upset with the people in aa the tone of aa right yes the, the the a lot of the um a lot of the superficial stuff the steps the saying the prayers the whatever you know but yep at the same time so people have backlashed against aa moved away from it but what did aa give us it gave us the disease model yep it gave us the idea that you need to be in support groups um it gave us uh, the idea that people with addictions are flawed in a deeply emotional way, right? Yes, yep. Self-absorbed, that, self-centered. You know, and that there's all these these sort of uh, character defects that come along with it. Um, they gave us the dry drunk idea, yep. right? That, uh, <clears throat> you know, that, that you have to that you have to improve yourself in all of these moral, perfectly moral ways, be perfectly balanced person um, in order to stay sober, to, to, to stop smoking crack or going on binge drinking sessions. And uh, I'm afraid that all of these things have been kept in all of the supposedly scientific advanced approaches to addiction they're all they they still hold on to the idea of support they still hold on to this disease model 
they still hold on to the idea that they call it underlying causes of addiction, right? That's character defects in another way, right? Yeah. Um, they, they hold on to all of these same things. And, and what all of this stuff has done is it's made a lot more of the problem than, than it is. It's made it, it's, it's made a, uh, made it's, addiction into a bigger problem than it needs to it's be. It's overcomplicated it. Yeah. It's overcomplicated it. So mm-hmm. I see all of that existing in the non 12 step treatment today. I still see the 12 steps. That's, yep. well, that's, that's ex- one of my big issues, even when they don't have 12 steps. Yes. Yeah. So that's the a question, great point, Steve. It, it is. And you, you, you gave the outline of the whole, the whole picture. Um, I wrote a piece called absorption. And that is that if you have something that, that is counter to a paradigm, like you have the new paradigm, the direction that happens is first everybody fights it. And then if the new paradigm gains any steam, which we did, we caught the entire industry off guard for a little while. And they were shocked by it because they didn't understand it, you know, from a societal level. They just didn't understand it. And then once they caught on to the fact that we were being successful with this other model, they were either going to go dead against it publicly, um, which some did, or they were going to adopt it as their own, which is actually what happened. So what the treatment industry did is it swung deeper into the disease mythology with medicalizing Right. Uh, calling, calling, you know, basically uh, methadone and these different things uh, medicine. So you, you've medicalized the entire behavior. And while that was happening, going deeper in the disease mythology, they grabbed a hold of non-12-step and they bastardized it. They, they, they gave it, uh, you know, it's basically disease with different outward marketing clothing. And so people think they're getting some non-12-step thing, right? And then they get to a treatment center, it's the same old, same old, same old. And they're horrified by it, um, especially the people that actually want something different. So, yeah. So, and so they – can I just jump in? Yeah. They might not tell you that you have to surrender your will to a higher power, right? Right. Mm-hmm. That one little thing might be gone. But all the rest of it is the same, and I think people go there and they know something's off, yes. but they they just yeah. don't know what it is. So that's I'm sorry, it. I'll throw it back to you. No, that well, is that's, exactly right. That's exactly right. What's wrong is they know that if they need to be supported, this whole idea of weakness and being supported doesn't ring solid with people. They're like, geez, I, I just want to be okay. And when we mention freedom and moving on, and especially when we say moving on from addiction and recovery, people go, hey, stop. What did you just say? What did you just say? And they get it. I mean, it is almost every phone call that I get of people inquiring about what we do. If I say that line, it rings deep in their heart. And they say, that is what I want. I mean, they'll stop me almost every time. So, so people know what they want. Just nobody was saying it until us. Because in order to really move on, you can't be beholden 
to a treatment model because there's nothing to treat. You can't be beholden to a recovery model because there's nothing to recover from. Once you're detoxed, if you even need detox, there, what are you recovering from? Yourself? Your desire to get high? That, that's not a recovery thing. You're just making choices. So the question is, why? What did, what did people do prior to Bill Wilson coming up with the disease idea. Now, there are other guys that came up with the disease idea prior, but he popularized it. He made it, he made it something that, that is a part of the fabric of our culture. What did people do when they drank too much? Did they all die? Right? So did Bill Wilson come up with a solution that was because every single person that drank since mankind started had a disease because diseases don't just pop up in populations <laughs> right you, cancer has existed since man has existed so has diabetes right so has heart disease these are things that are intrinsically human because they're physical so if the disease of addiction exists, then every single place that alcohol and drugs has existed, which by the way is nearly every culture in the world since mankind started, um, that means that everybody would have been diseased and did they all die prior to the prophet Bill Wilson coming along and saying this is the answer. In well, 1935. In 1935. So like the whole history of mankind. You know, so, we're talking about a relatively short period of time. Right. So we, we went back. We did the research. We went back to the very first uh, recorded history where it was written down in, in the Chinese empire about somebody being drunk. And it was a long time ago. It was thousands of years ago. <laughs> so, and then we went from that point to when Bill Wilson came along. And you know what people did? They moved on. So you have, you have a situation, for instance, in colonial America where they drank much more per capita yet the oh, incident yes. rate of problems was almost non-existent. So here you have a population that drinks younger in much heavier amounts, consistently drinking because they didn't believe that water was, was uh, safe to drink. So they, at the very first thing that the, the colonial Americans did was build a still. Believe it or not, it's the first structure before, right after that, a church. <laughs> the bar and the church are the staples of America. Um, and and, well, and, so and you know what? Yeah. You can go back, you can go back through a whole bunch of religious texts. I've been reading a lot of scholars on this lately, and <clears throat> there's no mention of addiction until about the 19th century. That's exactly. There's right. a little, there's a little bit of a mention about it with the gin craze in uh, in the 18th century, but but it really is when it starts is in the 19th century. But when you you look at all these other texts, like you said about the Chinese one, um, it's always about getting drunk. Yeah. And they talk about loving getting drunk or sometimes people, you know, having problems getting drunk, but they never mention that a person um, can't stop doing it or does it constantly. That never, ever comes right. up all the ancient texts. And I think, you know, just... At top of my head, I would say they probably didn't have time to keep doing that. And that it's a luxury of our age is that we have the time. That's a good point. Well, that's exactly correct. And in an affluent society, you, you can watch problems and the supposed solutions for them uh, be created, really. 
And addiction is a, a construct of an affluent society where people have time to ruminate on problems that didn't even exist prior. Uh, we literally manufacture problems so that we can then manufacture industries to fix said problems. And, and Bill Wilson, at the very heart of who he was, and he was very open about this, said, and, and this is his quote. I, this is what he said. He said, I want to die a millionaire. And you know what? He did. He started in AA a bum, did just AA his whole life thereafter, and died a millionaire. Um, and people don't know that, that it was a financial model. And that the entire treatment industry is based in two things, a financial model and control. The disease model is about control. It's about making a black and white answer to a problem that has become very complex. Um, and so now, and, and, it, and it really isn't complex. We, we ha it's become so complex though, because of the industry, that we have to spend 450 pages in the freedom model deconstructing all the nonsense. I mean, that, that literally that's yeah. what we spend doing and showing people how to climb out of mythology. Uh, it's craziness. So, so yeah. um, can I, but let's bring it back to this paradigm Yes. Shifts idea, right? And I think the reason that the the paradigm we have now took hold, right? Um, we just set some of the stage for that, right? We're we're in um, a more affluent society, right? Yep. Industrialized. Yep. We're in, we had the industrial revolution. Yep. We had advances in medicine and all sorts of technologies and, and psychiatry psychiatry came along um and we got the faith that any human problem someone else could solve it for us you know mm -hmm. started to look at ourselves more as complicated machines than as humans right all 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 of that is is coming into play and um but i think most of all um you know, families, we, we don't live in the kind of poverty that, that we used to. Families can support each other. And in doing that, sometimes it can have family members that become irresponsible, overdrink, this or that. And um, I think people wanted a comforting story for why that was happening, yeah. right? Why is my, you know, and I get emails like this. Well, I don't know if I could accept that my husband's drinking is voluntary because then I'd have to think he was a bad person. Yeah. And, and I don't think you have to think that, no. you know, but it, but that's how a lot of people think. And that, you know, at the end of the day, every pitch for the disease model, I, I've just yes. grown so tired of it over the years. It always ends with look, we just need to accept this so that people won't be ashamed, so there won't be the stigma, so they'll come forward and get the help. You know, and it's like we've created a giant cover story, and, it, and the cover story works <laughs> like in that. two directions. All right? This is very important to understand that it works in two directions. It helps, um, it helps people to make excuses and a cover story for behavior that is not socially acceptable, right? right. It's 
get a right. bit of a pass. But on the other hand, it gives other people, particularly governments and family members, um, license that gives them a story and a license to come in and say, you have to change this, right? right. Not, not to say, why do you do this? Do you want to keep doing it? Do you want to change? It's your life. No, no, no. With this disease model, we can come in and we say, you have to change this. You have to get treatment, <coughs> right? right? So right. we've accepted that paradigm because it serves purposes on both ends. Definitely as, you know, once you get the diagnosis of addict, as I did, um, it's a lot easier to just go along with that because it gives you an excuse, um, and, you know, to get out of trouble even if you don't believe it. Um, but that's why we've accepted that. And how do you change that? Um, I think you need another story, right? And I think yes. we kind of, I mean, we didn't try to write the freedom model with another story. We tried to write just what we see. But I think people are searching for a narrative to explain and and why I'm bringing this up now it goes back to that letter you read right at the beginning because there's this amazing phenomenon where people who <laughs> which we didn't expect people who are already quit drinking or drugging or cut it down for years and years are getting our book and they're saying thank you this actually explains what I went through yes yes Yes. And they, they love that because we all, because this is how human beings work. We exactly respond right. to stories, you know, mm -hmm. and they're reading that. And I, and I assume a lot of the time, and I see it on the comments to, or, or, or emails that I get in response to my Ted talk where, where I talked about the playground effect and, and that kind of thing. And people respond to me about that. And they say, this is what, this is what I went through. Yeah. Everybody starts pointing fingers, you know, and I start thinking I'm really screwed up and that's how I started to feel so screwed up. And, and, and so now they've got like an explanation or, or, or a narrative, if that makes sense. Makes well, they have, they have the facts and, and it's, it's interesting because where the freedom model started, where my research started, was in human behavior. What motivates people? Because I knew that if I understood what motivated people, I would also know uh, what motivates somebody to drink and drug, right? And, and so when people read the freedom model, they go, oh my God, I, this just makes sense and it simplifies everything. It also points out how utterly and completely um, complex the fabrication of the disease concept is. And, but it is, it's a fabrication. It was made up. People don't know that. They don't know the history. And, and it's, it's amazing to me how sad it is, how much energy has been put into one man's desire to die a millionaire, you know, and, and how much it took off. But something like the disease concept that Bill Wilson comes up with, which was really on shaky ground, something like that taking off 
can't just be that he was a good promoter. It really needed an audience that would accept it. And the things that made it such fertile ground in America, specifically, is, is our affluence. You can't have a disease and an, and an industry to fix it if people don't have money to pay for the fix, okay? So, so that we had fertile ground. It's not happenstance that Europe has a 20-year delay in its adoption of, of the, the disease model. It took them a while to grasp it because for a lot of reasons, but one is they're, they're not as rich as us. They're pretty darn rich in the world, but they're not as rich as us, so they didn't adopt it right away. And, uh, and they also are a little behind on a lot of the mythology. It took us a while to export all that nonsense. Um, so, and culturally, they have better drinking norms. Um, well, and you got to look at Europe back during that time as well. They're cleaning up after World War One, yep. and, and then they get World War Two. <laughs> we right, they were that. they were a little bit distracted. Right, they were right. a little bit distracted from adopting <laughs> this kind of stuff. But yeah. but what what was the fertile soil here also was prohibition. Prohibition made alcohol bad. Well, we, so, and, yeah, we started out, our whole system of government started out puritanical in nature. And that, I mean, you know, the religious freedom thing, and um, which was a little bit ironic when you look at American history because, you know, they came over here to practice their religion, but then they kind of implemented all that morality nonsense on everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and making America was kind of a cluster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to swear, yeah. but you know, it was it was a messy business. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about uh, a paradigm shift, and you know, in our lifetime, the three of us—I'm the oldest one of the three of us—we um, have gone from I had a black and white television, um, and we had rotary phones where we were that were connected to a wall that you dialed, and it was like. <laughs> you know, and um, so who would have thought in our lifetime, I mean, any paradigm shift that seems to make your life easier happens very quickly. Yeah. So so the paradigm shift with, with communication has, you know, it's a snowball rolling down a hill, it feeds itself. So now we literally have computers that we carry in our pockets um, where we can talk to anybody in the world. And I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. And if you think about the way we listen to music over the years, you know, you know, now we our music is we carry it in our pockets. Yes, yeah, I carry my whole book collection, which is extensive, in my pocket. Um, and you know, but there was a time period where people didn't know what an iPod was, or they didn't know what an MP3 player was. And um, but our what we're trying to do in the treatment industry. Um, or outside, from the outside of it, but now this goal for us to teach people how to how to implement the freedom model really is to kind of infiltrate it and show um, people have this notion that if you give me a pill, that's easier. That if somebody fixes me from the outside, that's easier. Oh, this is a good point. I know so 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 that's why that took off so so quickly because it's like. Okay, so I, I, all I have to do is sit here and talk to you, and you're going to fix me. All I have to do is sit here and pray to God, and that's going to fix me. I have to take these med, this medicine, and that's going to fix me. And in the end, for most people, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't work. And so is it easier? 
It's, it's absolutely not easier at all. Um, so when people read the freedom model, they say, I mean, it's it's like, oh, I should have had a V8. I mean, it's they read it. And I got, had the same impression when I started you know, reading it for editing, which was, this is exactly how I did it. This is, and this is easy. Yes. Because it's me, yes. because I'm the one in charge. Yes. Um, so that's the way that the freedom model is going to shift the paradigm. In the end, in my lifetime, and God willing, I have 30 years left, um, you know, I'll be able to see that it, people want to change. They want to be in control. They, they want to learn how it can be easy. And um, and I, I met with somebody over the weekend, and he was... You know, he was talking to me for his parent and, you know, he, he got it. He got it. He was like, so you're not going to tell her that she shouldn't drink. I'm like, well, haven't you already told her that? Hasn't everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, everybody's telling her that. And and she laughed and, um, and, and I said, well, no, we're not going to tell her that because it's, she's an adult. She's a grown woman. Uh, if she wants to drink, she can drink. It's right. not it's not up to me and it's not up to you. Um, and, uh, and then I really explained to him, I'm like, in the end, regardless of where she goes, her decision to drink or, or not drink has to, has to be internal to her. That's the only thing that's going to change her. That's the only thing that's going to fix her, so to speak, is her desire to make that change. And so what the freedom model does is it just gives people all the information and maybe just maybe opens their mind to the possibility they can be happier making a change. That's it. I want to I want to hone right in on what you said, being happier to make a change. And once people open up to this idea that they can be happier by making a change, they do. Yeah, and it's easy. It's, and it's easy. It's easy. So for the audience out there, it's not easy because you're you're you've been told a whole heap of stuff that isn't true that has clouded the issue to such a degree that oh, you're gosh. you're wallowing in murky water, but you know, and I'm I'm speaking directly to you, you know that something's amiss. That's how Steve said it earlier, and that's exactly correct. I remember when I got out of treatment, and I was totally suicidal, and I was I was incredibly lost, incredibly lost. And I said, you know, none of this makes any sense. Yep. I've lived long enough that I know that there are things that make sense, and there's things that don't make sense, and the things that don't make sense usually don't work. And I said, I gotta find out. You know, and that was really the beginning of the freedom model. That that was 1989. That's when that's where this whole thing started. So a paradigm shift can happen and will happen in the fullness of time. The truth always wins. It yes. always does. It's just how many people are going to be in the wake of treatment's shadow. I mean, really, it's 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 unfortunate that people are living under mythology of a disease that does not exist. Yeah. And so everything that's designed to stave off the disease is wrong because there is no disease. So you're fixing a non-existent yep. problem. Um, I, that's really hard for people to grasp because you haven't read the book. You haven't read how far off the mark that stuff is, that, that treatment is peddling. So I think that there's, 
that that where the rubber meets the road is these these folks that are contacting us that are doing what we did, which is I really want to help somebody. You know, I got past my drinking and drug problem. I didn't do it through AA. I didn't do it. I did it because that's what I wanted. I wanted my life changed because I made it change. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time in 1989, but that's what I did. And um, there are a lot of people out there whose lives have changed and the voice for those people is the freedom model and now they want to spread that out and I think it's it's going to be an amazing process to watch it unfold and I, I really look forward to we also had uh, it was interesting but two rehab chains ask for exclusive rights to the freedom model we're probably not going to go in that direction but uh, you know I, I don't want to limit us, but the point is they see the value in it. They'll probably change it to a disease model and bury it. Right, you know? right. We, I, I think we've, they, we've they been also, down this road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that they see, uh, I think they're frightened of it. I yeah. think they realize, oh my God, this is going to take It'll off. Make and us if it does, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Eventually the freedom model will make all treatment obsolete, with the exception of detox, which is a physical uh, issue. Um, which has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Now look at I I, I and then I'll let Steve close out because we're we're up at about forty minutes now. Um, if we're not saying that there's, you know, I'm not. We're not talking about any of the mental health stuff. We're not talking about any of that stuff. What we're saying is this is the substance use issue. The Freedom Model helps people with the substance use issue. Now I believe in my heart of hearts it can help people with different mental health issues as well. Um, but but we're not down on therapy. If you feel like you need therapy to help with depression or you feel like you need it to help with anxiety or something like that, that's a separate issue. What, what the Freedom Model does is it unties those things. Um, to, to, so it keeps the problem very, very simple, which is that I have this preference for substances. Maybe I, I, I have it, you know, I use it. Um, because I feel like it, it helps me with my depression. And by the way, alcohol does not help with depression. I can just tell you from experience. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I feel like it helps me for my anxiety or whatever. Um, the Freedom Model debunks all of that um, so that you can really look at it for what it is. And um, so we're not, you know, I, I don't want anybody to be confused. Um, you know, you don't, you don't need to be in recovery. You don't need ongoing therapy and meetings and support to, to make a choice to not ingest a substance. Um, that's what we're talking about here exclusively. Yeah. Um, Steve, you got any closing comments? Um, I don't know. I might just reiterate what you just said. Um, yeah. It's, I always use the analogy of it's like quitting a job or breaking off a relationship, right? You know, it might be hard to get to, to make that decision, to work your way there, to wrap your mind around it, to believe that you'd be better off right. quitting this job or leaving this relationship. That's, that's a hard thing to come to sometimes. Yeah. But once you do, do figure that out, you don't need to be in a support group over it. You don't need to work on resisting going back to that job every day you know you've moved on and really that's what letting go of a heavy uh, drug or alcohol habit is like once you really know that you'll be happier changing you just change and you move on you know the the 
I, I think the the hard part in the paradigm shift is going to be, I you know I hate to say this, some people don't want to move on, but I guess you said that earlier. Mark, yeah, he you did. Yep. Yeah, there will um, always be those people. There will always be, and that's okay. They, yep. Yeah, you know, um, but those are the people that services are going to be for because it helps them to maintain the charade that they're suffering from an addiction when in fact they're just doing what they want to do. But I, I think the, the majority of people um, are the, the majority of people want a solution. You know, I do think that that's the case. And so it's just going to be a matter of clearly communicating that. Um, and there's a lot of obstacles in the way to that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Michelle. Why don't All you right. Well, we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, we went a little long, but I think we had some great information for you guys. Um, if you're seeking help, please know we offer a variety of services for those who are struggling with substance use problems and also for people who love someone who's struggling. We have great family services. Um, you can learn about these services at thefreedommodel.org or call us at 888-424-2626. Um, please like and share this podcast with your friends and family. It may just be the reason someone gets the information they need to finally break free from addiction and recovery. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're putting up new content all the time. And if you subscribe, it'll notify you when we have something, a new video up for you. We have free video lessons out there. Um, we also are in the process of of building a whole online video library um, for people to, to actually go through the freedom model um, and learn about it. So thank you so much for listening to us today. Thank you, Mark and Steve, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out soberforever.net. Once again, that's soberforever.net. 